For July 8th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 575. A snap is something Thanos does for money. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are slinging our webs and swinging from the the great edifices, the large buildings of pop culture, and uh, enjoying the wind in our faces as we do it. I am Matt Rather. I am joined by my uh, by my spider friends, including newly returned from Europe, where he was far from home pete fenzel hello pete hey matt my peter was tingling the entire time i was not wait that's 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 wrong i apologize it is, uh, <laughs> it is an inappropriate way to describe your honeymoon and uh, mark oh, lee no. <laughs> mark lee welcome uh, to the podcast hey with great power comes great responsibility to travel to europe and showcase many historical sites uh, for the viewing public. So we're talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, spoiler alert for Spider-Man Far From Home, a movie about how you should not lose your glasses under any circumstances. No, I'm kidding. Spider-Man Far From Home is a movie about how big CGI blockbusters are bad. <laughs> and that we're not, we're not even joking. This That's is really what the movie's Kevin, about, right? Kevin Feige, after a decade of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, puts the period on the sentence of this first decade. It culminates not in the the gigantic extravaganza of of Endgame, but in this little bagatelle. In this little Fantasia in which the bad guy is a movie director, has a special effects department, and has a costumer and a writer. A writer, by the way, who is like done up in like a 1940s like, ah, we're putting on a show, see? Kind of outfit uh, at the end with like a beret or something, whatever he's wearing. And uh, they, they, they practice in a theater and comes comes like directly in contact with the the sort of the point that Slavoj Žižek makes about uh, American superhero movies, which is that when the world dreams, it dreams about being American. When Americans dream in their films, they dream about a level of destruction so vast that it would eradicate, it would just erase all of their privilege um, by destroying the infrastructure that supports it. Well, here... Uh, they have a discussion about just the right amount of casualties to make the movie uh, convincing, to make it have some stakes. Anyway, so uh, we'll get into all of that in a second, but I was shocked and did not see coming the twist at the end. I'm not talking about the the uh, after credit scene. We'll get to that in a minute. But the twist at the end of the film where Jake Gyllenhaal reveals uh, Spider-Man's identity that he... W- and and frames him for all of the destruction and reveals his identity. I, I don't see how any person <laughs> watching this film without a Peter Tingle could have seen that coming. Pete, do, do you agree with me? You, there's now, no way you saw this coming, right? Now, to, to, be, to be clear here, I want to know. I want to know whether anybody in this podcast didn't know going into this movie 
that Mysterio is a bad guy. I, I wanted to know that because it was one of the most delightful things about this movie was watching actual Mysterio in actual movie commercials as the hero, as this sort of sort of supportive hero of the movie, and the and the trailer not sh- telling you that he was a bad guy. I mean. Did either of you not know that Mysterio was vil- is a villain? I was pretty sure. I'm okay. not like 100% like, confident yeah. of it, but pretty I, sure. I cottoned on right before the bar scene, right before he handed over the glasses. It was just laying it on a little too thick at that point. <laughs> well, because like, Mysterio has been doing this for you know, 40, 50 years. Right? Like, My- Mysterio is th- the quintessential... Oh, so completely needlessly over the top comic book villain uh, that that he can't help but be absurd. Right. Uh, it, it, there's been very, very rarely has Mysterio uh, been truly so malevolent. Right. That that you can get past the fact that he wears a fishbowl on his head and he flies around with purple cape and he has giant eyes on his brooches. Right. Like and and uh, and he's the master of illusions. Right. He is perhaps the only supervillain in comic books who would flawlessly fit into an Arrested Development episode like flawlessly. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and, and Mysterio. Oh, man. They, well, he's the master of illusions. Right. That's his thing is that he, he tricks you. And the idea that the commercial illusions you yeah. <laughs> trick is something. Never mind. I just felt like yeah. I had to get the reference. Yeah. In. A, a trick, a snap is something Thanos does for money. These are illusions. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, just that that the whole promotions for the movie was tricking you with the idea. And of course, it's Mysterio. He's right there. And and framing Spider-Man for crimes that he didn't commit is something that Mysterio has been doing since the 60s. So this is not this should not be surprising. I mean, I. I was very skeptical of Mysterio just in general uh, until I encountered the Kevin Smith Daredevil run where he writes Mysterio. And I think that uh, the thing about Mysterio, which I think you all got to see in this in this particular film, right, in this particular movie, this sort of deconstructive example of a genre that it tries to tear apart is that in order for Mysterio to work, there are villains in in movies, superhero villains in movies and comic books that do bad things. There are supervillains in these things that do like do like bad things. They're so bad that it is beyond comprehension, just evil beyond all measure. But Mysterio just is a real, real jerk. Like he is just a bad person and and he is a he is just his his behavior is mean and it's petty and it's cruel i mean i'm avoiding using curse words because i don't want to add chili peppers to the to the podcast i don't want to get us kicked off of itunes or anything but he is just an a-hole right and i think that in order for mysterio to be written well you have to make him a huge a-hole who just goes way out of his way to make things unpleasant for other people uh and and i think that they did a great job of doing this and they did a great job of setting up that they weren't going to do it and oh my god bringing you along for the ride and there was a great meta experience through the movie for those of us who are familiar with dear fishbowl head uh that 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 this was all uh this was all a long con the whole thing that you were being roped in the whole time uh and i just took utter delight in that and i think jake gyllenhaal did a phenomenal job performing in a very difficult part of a very silly character the second time that they've done this probably the second most successful because ben kingsley as the mandarin is tough to beat uh and that whole twist on there but with the mandarin they went the other way right whereas with mysterio i mean they made some changes to kind of who he is but it's still pretty basic like it's it's him 
right? It's it's not it's not a joke, right? Like that's what Mysterio does is he dresses up in a fancy outfit and he does illusions. And so tricks we, we should put a pin on uh, uh, on the Mandarin Ben Kingsley's Mandarin and come back oh, to yeah. him in, in a second. But like to to cash out Vat's question to have you dress it directly, like um, you you anticipated that at the very at, at somewhere along the way. Mysterio was going to frame Peter Parker for everything that happened. Like you, you were on, you were cotton on to that. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't think that it was, and I, I, I'm not saying that I knew that that was necessarily going to happen in this movie, but it's like a, it's like a Mysterio plot point. That's pretty a, a total thing. That's okay. Yeah, were you aware so like, that, J- we that J.K. Simmons was going to come back? Was no, that was, a, that was awesome. No, I mean, I thought that you would enjoy that. Yeah, that was, oh, cool. yeah, that was so great. Right. That was so great. But no, I, what I meant more was that I knew the whole time that Mysterio was a bad guy. And that the movie is both playing to people like me who know Mysterio is a bad guy in such things as like, look how awkward and bad the glasses look on Jake Gyllenhaal, right? <laughs> like, like, which was a delightful piece of costuming. They found glasses that look great on uh, Tom Holland, but terrible on Jake Gyllenhaal. And he wore them just a little bit low on his nose to make sure that they looked extra terrible, right? And and so there, that's a joke for people like me who get that Mysterio has been playing everybody the whole time. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've never particularly enjoyed being a victim of a supervillain, but this time it seemed pretty fun. Mm. Um, but I mean, I guess this this movie, this is a movie that is engaging with the audience in a dialogue in a very active way, which is cycling back to what Matt said in that conversation. Right. That like Mysterio is a meta character in this movie because the villain is always every every supervillain is a Mysterio because these are not real people. Uh, right. They are illusions. Right. They are they are tricks that that uh, studios do for money. Right. So like uh, uh, in that sense, this is the realist of the superhero movies <laughs> because it acknowledges the illusion. Um, I mean, just just in this. Spe- I, I really admired the, the chutzpah of kind of throwing their hat over the wall with. Specifically, blah, 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 specifically, not just with framing uh, Spider-Man for what had happened, but that he was Peter Parker and, you know, showing a picture of him. Because it does get... John Parrish wrote a wrote a um, an article on Overthinking It a while back when... Remember, remember, guys, in the olden days when we had articles on Overthinking It? You know, remember when, when supervillains were supervillains and, and there was none of this meta stuff that we do now? You remember that? You remember those olden days? You Before remember? everything got so baroque. Yeah. yeah. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. That um, uh, he wrote a, an article about the unsustainable premise. He used the television show Suits uh, as an example, where a uh, uneducated, un- I mean, very smart but not legally educated, unlicensed, uh, not past the bar lawyer uh, pretends to be a lawyer, and he points out that there's really only one thing you can do. Uh, there really is only it's it's like EDM, right? It's like the, there's one trick. It's the drop. You you drop the beat, you know, like uh, or drop the bait, whatever, whatever it is that these kids today are dropping. I, I remember uh, old days before before the drops like you drop the knowledge, you know, you spill the tea. Shout out to the uh, U.S. women's national team who uh, won the. Women's World Cup, uh, sipping their sipping their tea. They deserve every drop of it. Yeah, you spill it, you drop it, you uh, you reveal that the guy is not. Uh, actually a lawyer you reveal the secret identity of the supervillain of superhero right and and that's like um that's the one move you have in this in this particular premise and i mean it was kind of uh teased at a little bit when uh, in this uh film when mj 
finds out and there's this competition of like, well, I knew first, well, I knew best, you know, I figured it out myself. I got told, you know, this is the, this is the whole thing. Um, but that like, uh, to just blatantly throw it out there on a giant, uh, jumbotron in Times Square, you know, and like, uh, figure out what to do with the franchise once, uh, once it's clear, that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Now, Pete, I mean, I'm not a, a big Spider-Man comic reader. Uh, and by big, I mean, I'm not at all a Spider-Man comic reader. Is this something that's been addressed time and time again in the, uh, in the literature, if I were to go and research it? Oh, uh, you mean specifically what? The secret identity of Spider-Man as Peter Parker? Being revealed to the world. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think it has been. But it's also, I don't think it's interesting. Uh, you know, like like Spider-Man trying to keep his identity secret is important but i think with spider-man the the conflict that's more interesting is him trying to balance the various dimensions of his life and his relationships so i think that there have been times where people have known um but i think that it's more like there have been times where he's had difficulty getting work and like that's kind of a problem um yeah i don't know it should be new it'll it will feel new if when he is like a tony stark style avenger um, even though there was probably a period in the 80s when he was doing that, huh. right? Like, he's just done everything. He's more like Batman than a lot of the other Marvel Comics superheroes because I just feel like Spider-Man has been put in every situation, in every variation for years and years and years. Um, and, and like so Enter the Spider-Verse showed us, you know, it's not just the Spider-Man. You know, it's the idea of Spider-Man that gets imprinted in different kinds of, uh, you know, anybody can wear the suit and jump on the wall. I suppose. Right. And it can it can go like that. But, yeah, I mean, definitely it's an issue for Spider-Man that he can't maintain his personal relationships while also being Spider-Man to even a greater degree than Batman. But let me rephrase it. A more grounded degree that creates a wider variety of problems. Whereas with Batman, it's like, oh, I'm so lonely and I can't be with anybody. And, oh, no, somebody took somebody hostage that I was dating. Right. With But with Spider-Man, it's like, oh, I'm depressed. I can't make rent. And, you know, my girlfriend was living in my apartment. But now I have to move out. And it's, it's much it's a lower. The stakes are lower, but the pathos feels more direct. Right. When Spider-Man is kind of dealing with that. Situation. Wait, you, you don't think it's relatable? The the you know, to be a reclusive builder billionaire squirreled away in your not squirreled away batted away in your cave and uh you know to have some some relationship problems because you know you never know whether someone loves you for you or for your money or for your secret identity or whether you know they're going to be snatched away and and you know killed to get a you like you don't find that relatable I just feel like there's the Spider-Man experience and there's the Batman experience. And what it really depends on is if you stumble out of your bedroom uh, to your dining room table, right? Uh, how far did you stumble when you wake up in the morning? And when you get there, are you drinking coffee or are you drinking espresso? Right. Like that's that's the that's the, the Batman experience is you stumble for and, a long time. Right. And, and, when you and, and is your breakfast companion um, someone you pay to be there, i.e. your butler or yeah. a blood relative? Is, a, is dear, a dear blood relative. Is breakfast there for you already or is it like a box of kicks that you have to dig into with your own hand and eat dry? Mm. Right. Like that's more the Spider-Man experience. So <laughs> before I move on from this, uh, a brief well, actually, the video announcement is not in Times Square. It's in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, by Penn Station. So, oh. Matt, I know uh, out on the bleeding edge of beating West Coast of America with your earthquakes and everything, you don't have an intimate knowledge of the fine geography of New York City. And I'm Atlanta. fine, guys. Um, Thank you for asking, by the way. I'm fine. 
Oh, good. Oh, because Matt didn't oh. see mark yourself as safe uh, on, on Facebook <laughs> from the event. Uh, sorry. Well, that, wait, wait, wait. Matt, I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't mean to make light. I don't of this. know I'm enough sorry. about California geography, Matt, to know specifically how far you were from the earthquake. Are you? Are you okay? Yeah, what it's, highways it's fine. Where, would you have to drive on to get <laughs> okay. to where the Okay. Well, so if you're going to Mammoth, you want to take the 405 north, but then you turn. You turn at uh, Mojave, I think, and then you get on 395. That's David. David, I said to get to the water. Get out of here, Stewart! What are you? What, what are you doing here? Okay, back back to the. I think we got like a little bit ahead of ourselves here, right? We talked about yeah. like the next chapter of the, of the Spider-Man story with his identity being revealed. Can, can, can we like just straight on a, a address all this meta stuff going on about what you said, Matt, earlier, right? How this movie's main thesis statement is these types of movies are bad. I like, is loved it, it. Is it. Is is it really truly actually saying that? I mean, I guess it could say it that as well as be that movie at the same time, right? Like these Marvel movies have shown them to shown themselves to contain multitudes and to be capable of so many different types of storytelling. Uh, is it is it a cop out to say it's both, or is it really leaning more towards that these movies are bad uh, side of the spectrum? No, it's not because it's too much fun. Right, like uh, it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm. See, I'm. I'm straining to. Uh, you know, uh, there. <laughs> it's too pleasurable, right? But that, like, I. I just absolutely love that. You know that the the and and it's so I mean it's so deliberate like like oh my goodness they make them a theater troupe right and they do you know and and it's like the 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 director the crabby director uh, thing of cut cut everyone reset this isn't good go again with twice the firepower oh now we're getting somewhere like it 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 hits two uh it hits two real good notes one is that it it does what pete said mysterio has to do and makes him a a just horrible mustache twirly i mean wonderful uh horrible mustache twirly villain and it uh it just it really hits the kind of the the meta text uh let's put on a show sort of thing um real real hard and the uh i you know it's so and even down to the level of like who is the author of the film right like is the director the author of the film in some sense or are these things like products of you know big teams you know and that that like a product of of collaboration between the you know the the special effects people and the writers and whoever is steaming the cape to get the wrinkles out um you know, whoever it looks like Sarah Vowell, I think, was uh, 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 actor who was ste- steaming the cape to to get the wrinkles out of it. Like the, even down to engaging that level of discourse, this is really a wonderful kind of oh. metatextual film about uh, about filmmaking. I'll, I'll go one level up, right? Who was really in charge of this? Uh, I, I would say, like, what ostensibly Nick Fury. Um, we find out later he's a scroll, but anyway, Nick Fury. Being like what, like an executive producer who like gives the glasses to Peter Parker and sets all the um, all the events in motion. Like there's there's some yeah. yeah there's some extra level there going on beyond like the quote unquote like creative folks, the director and writer crew on the ground. Yeah, they, they, the scrolls have to green light it, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I would I would say, and I agree with you, Matt. And to to add to it, right? And to add about because the movie can't just I mean it could, but it doesn't seem to just impugn movies like this it has a few other things to say but like it's important to remember that there are two fake superheroes in this movie who aren't really there 
Well, there's three, right? One is that Mysterio is artifice, right? The Mysterio is not actually a hero from another dimension who's here to save our planet from the elementals before they draw the power from the Earth's core to such a degree that they reduce it to, to ash, right? <laughs> I'm doing it for my family. This is for my family, right? And I love that line, and I'll come back to it. But like, he's one fake superhero. Another fake superhero is that it is the Mysterio who reveals Peter Parker's identity, which I think we're supposed to believe is either right a failsafe that that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character prepared in advance, or more likely a composite that was created by the kid from A Christmas Story, right? Who is running the computers, right? Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's him, right? It's that's little that's a little kid from the Christmas Story with the Red Rider BB gun who's oh, going to shoot his eye out. That's so um, that's so funny. But he says Jake Gyllenhaal does say there's a throwaway line when it's all when the plan has all gone to hell. There's a throwaway yeah. line that's like. Wait, I got one more trick up my sleeve. I've got one more illusion up my yeah. sleeve. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it in post. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the idea is after he, you know, he downloads everything onto that flash drive and gets out of Dodge. There's the idea that Mysterio can live on as a deep fake, right? And I guess he can be reproduced through uh, all because they have so many recordings from all the different dimensions, from all the drones of this guy that they can use it. But the third fake superhero is Tony Stark whose image is everywhere, but who doesn't, who is dead, right? Even dead, I'm the hero, right? Is the idea that, that Voge is false, right? He's not the hero of the story. He wants to be. He creates the impression that he is. But all of the edifices and graffiti and, and all, of the, all of the, like, images of Tony Stark that are through the movie speak to Tony Stark's kind of existence in this world as a, as a presence. And the technology that he left behind is also a presence, but it's no more associated with a living and breathing superhero than Mysterio is. And that seems to be sort of the something of the critique Right. And I mean, what John Favreau says, because, of course, this is a movie that has the director of Iron Man defending Iron Man against the critiques of the director of the movie that you're currently watching. Uh. <laughs> <Right>? Like uh, <laughs> Happy is the director of Iron Man. And what he says is like, well, Tony Stark wasn't even really Tony Stark. Right. He was constantly confused. He was constantly having a tough time. Uh, you know, he was suffering. Right. And there's this idea that that the man within the suit, that the performance, nobody, you're not Iron Man, nobody can be Iron Man. What he's really saying is like, nobody can be Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. imbues the role with humanity, and it's only through the sort of, uh, the acting genius, right? The sort of authentic, the Peter Tingle that's brought by a real human being, or I guess, in, which is ironic because he's computer generated so often, um, even using the barf technology of Mysterio. Uh, right, that, that like, that that the thing that is salvageable about all of this is that it, within the superhero narrative is a person capable of making decisions based on conscience or having a kind of complex uh, emotional life or also like whose own authentic experience can be spoken to in some to some degree to some degree to some degree right uh against this the sort of really pat character development stuff like i need to avenge my family that was killed in the other dimension right it said it's like oh you know what am i going to do um i mean this is about peter parker learning that he has to 
trust his. This is a this is a this is a Protestant Reformation movie, also, right? Where it's talking about how you need to trust your own conscience because the like artifices of the fancy potentates, right, are full of lies. And as the hero, you need to recognize the simplicity of your the truth that is in your own heart, and and you need to the only the only way that you're truly going to be able to dodge the banana of damnation, right, is is through the spidey sense of faith alone, right, which is this sort of like irreducible human aspect that it's at the heart of these kinds of performances, and that, I think that's the defense that's being put out there, but it's not a defense against like it's not an adequate defense, right? It's sort of like well, these two things come together. And it has bad things and, and small good things, but it's not like the good things overwhelm the bad. The bad mostly overwhelm the good. Uh, let's, talk yeah. about, let's talk about that banana for, uh, oh, yes. for a second. Chekhov's banana <laughs> that, is, uh, that is thrown by, uh, you know, by a man at the beginning of the film. Um, right, right. Like, uh, and, and hits, hits, uh, hits Peter in the side of the head. So, um, you know, like the, the joke is that you can't bring your banana into Italy, but if you are familiar with the concept with the, uh, you know, I, I saw this movie with my mother, um, and she said, you know, it just makes me think of the grand tour. Uh, (laughs) If you're familiar with the idea of the Grand Tour, that as a, you know, that as a sort of upper class. uh, Oh, you mean the institution, not the car show. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Right. Um, (laughs) Because they hit each other in the face with bananas all the time. Well, I was about to say, like, if you're (laughs) if you're familiar with the the institution of the the Grand Tour, you definitely can bring your banana into Italy. Like, (laughs) that's the whole point of Italy. Right. Like, so if you're a if you're a, um, you know, a, a young aristocratic man being educated at, you know, Eton and Oxford or whatever. Uh, there is a point in your education at which you go on a grand tour. You go on a a, uh, a visit and a sort of tour around continental Europe uh, with or sometimes with a tutor, I guess, sometimes chaperoned, sometimes in, in a group, sometimes by yourself. And the idea is that you leave a boy and you you return a man. You see the the like the sort of decrepit as opposed to the kind of the upright Anglo-Saxonness of of uh you know of british um society you see the kind of decrepit mediterranean continental society i mean decrepit not in the sense of falling apart morally decrepit you get sexually initiated uh you you know and you you sort of come back you come back a man and i guess like one of the places i mean i i i want to i want to set you loose on this banana pete but like one of the places the um the banana becomes significant for me is that like it is uh it is one of the things that defines what Europe is. And I think a question of like what Europe is uh, in this movie is, uh, it, I don't know, is an in- interesting one for me. So, so uh, Peter Mark, banana, go. <laughs> so, so I actually just got back from my honeymoon in Europe and spent a fair and right before I watched this movie and spent a fair amount of the trip back scared about the jar of fig preserves that we had in our suitcase that was <sighs> given to us by our innkeep because I, I according to the letter of the customs rules we would be allowed to bring it into the country uh, but I was scared that it was going to get confiscated yeah and we ended up being able to bring it into the country and I hope that that was the right decision did but you the de- reason, did yeah. you did you declare it Pete or did you just uh, did you just 
just sort of slow walk it past the uh, custom uh, station? Uh, no comment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was in my checked baggage. Uh, I did not certainly didn't bring it as a carry on. Um, but uh, and also was it, we didn't have any value for it. So that was the other question. Right. Is that it was given to us as a gift. So we didn't buy it. So we can't declare it for taxes because it's worth nothing. And so it's like, OK, this is really confusing. But regardless, um, the, the, the banana bananas are actually blocked in customs for important reasons, because they carry invasive fruit flies that you don't want spreading into different populations. Right. So fruits are a really, you know, a really policed vector of, uh, of the spread of invasive species in air travel. And so the way that the, the banana for the banana foreshadows pretty much everything that happens in the story, right. Is that Aunt May throws the banana at Peter's face. Peter is incapable of perceiving the banana as a threat because in the context of his life, the banana does not have the role of a threat. It doesn't look like a threat, right? It looks like this thing that he's supposed to eat as a snack, right? So he puts his banana, he brings his banana with him, right? And he goes uh, to the airport and the security guard at the airport, who happens to be a woman of a similar kind of skin tone and hair to MJ, to Zendaya, right? Like opens his suitcase and in the suitcase finds both the spider suit, which she does not comment on as if she already knew it was there, right? Uh, It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're Spider-Man. I get it. You know, it's our secret. Hey, right? you, you Americans are into all kinds of freaky stuff. <laughs> exactly. But she finds the banana. She's the one that finds the banana. And she's the one that identifies that the banana is a threat. And that's why they have to throw the banana away. Right. And this is this is foreshadowing that MJ is both going to know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and is going to play it off in kind of a cool way. And that she's going to be the one that figures out the Mysterio is a fruit fly vector, not a delicious snack, uh, right? That, that even just because he doesn't just because he doesn't look like a threat. I mean, you could also peel the banana, throw it on the floor, and someone would slip on it, which would be movie magic. But but that's why I, when I think the banana is a the, the movie has two great sort of subtle symbols. One is the banana, right, which is the threat that looks too silly to be a threat that nobody should take seriously. Nobody takes seriously because they, you know, but they do sometimes because it actually is dangerous. And then also the double splitter headphone jack, which is like this sort of uh, I have this empty plug for my banana. right? Like I have this sort of uh, desire to share experience with another person. And this experience is going to be technologically mediated. Uh, and and uh, and that Peter wants to do this with MJ. He ends up doing it with Mysterio. He ends up plugging into Mysterio's headphone jack. And the idea that this shared experience with this other person is kind of a stand in for something else. Uh, you know, what you really want is the you know, to knock boots with them. Uh, but you you settle for watching. Uh, what were they going to watch uh, in the movie? They were going to watch. Uh, was there a particular I was like surprised at the movie they were actually going to watch. Oh, never mind. I, I don't remember. I think I'm confusing it with the Saturday Night Live sketch where they watched Master and Commander, and I thought that was strange. <laughs> I think it's an old Andy Samberg sketch I watched last night also. But anyway, the point being that, like, the banana is the threat that you don't see, and the headphone jack is the wave, is the technological proxy for human connection, like the technological vector for human connection. And, and Mysterio is a banana in a headphone jack. Sure. So I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the, the not just the um, not just the obvious connotations, but, the you know, from the, from the point of view of of feminist criticism, that the, the headphone jack is theorized as a lack. Right. It's theorized as a as an absence of of something rather than as a as a different kind of right. different kind of thing. And it's you know, it's the absence of a partner or it's a, it's a kind of connection with the wrong partner. Right. When uh 
He's sitting with Martin Starr, who is brilliant, by the way. Martin Starr is wonderful in this movie. In fact, like, wall-to-wall, great performances uh, in this movie. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing, actually, that, that they would all be of such, such high quality. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of theorized as a lack, but then it's like, uh, you know, Zendaya and her backpack, like, um, I don't know, turn out to be very, uh, very important. Like the idea of, um, the idea of kind of, of concealment or the idea of sort of enfolding or safety becomes something that's, that's important in a different way, uh, than just kind of what you're missing out on being, you know, being without the banana. Yeah, that's interesting that that a feminist critique of the movie symbolism would be interesting because Edith is female, but it's a female voice that's set up by a man who who launches sort of sperm at the earth from big round satellites. So there's all sorts of intermediate is interrelation of male and female symbols. And the thing I'm thinking of is when Spider-Man has to go inside the illusion, right? He has to go inside Mysterio's illusion and goop up all of the floating drones in this sort of weird impregnation scene, I guess. Now we're, we're talking about this. Um, and, and, uh, wow. And I, I mean, I guess that all seems pretty, pretty rote, Right. I mean, once you point it all out, it's all really obvious that uh, and I guess Mysterio wears a uh, a yoni over his head. Right. He has like the the round, although it's more of a bulbous penis, I guess. It's hard to say. But it's that, uh, that's I the mean, the phallic or yonic. Oh, that's yeah, that is a that is kind of the central question of the film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, is, uh, but it's I mean, I think it's important because it's it's. Uh, there's no face on it, right? And so it's both reflective. You sort of see yourself in it. It's an invitation to, um, it, it's an invitation to kind of project your own, uh, your own kind of wants and needs onto the superhero. And also because it's it's um, full of smoke, right? So you can't pin it down. It's immaterial. It's uh, you know not physical. It's it's amorphous and and you know sort of. Um, uh, uh, without, without form, um, you know, uh, just, yeah. I got a question uh, before we get too far away from the banana, which was just a delightful discussion we had about the banana. I'm sad to see it come to an end. Um, the fact that in Europe, <laughs> Spider-Man is known as night monkey. <laughs> and you know, is there a connection then to the banana that he brought over with him, that or is it just a, it's just a ha- happy coincidence? Maybe that that he has to be the one who eats the banana. Is that the idea? Because mm. he's the monkey <laughs> that, uh, mm. that, and that, um, yeah, Night Monkey. I mean, Jeez, it, that- it sort of was a neat comment on, uh, it was a neat comment on the idea that, like, everyone has to be so up to date with everything now. And so, like, I think someone was well actuallying someone else, like, no, that's not, that's Night Monkey, you know? Yeah. No, you don't even know. <laughs> I mean, haven't you even seen Instagram? That's Night Monkey. Uh, that there's a great, um, I I just felt I don't know I felt it felt like just charming all the way down charming social comment on all the on all the things. I love one of my favorite example of that in this movie is how they play it pretty subtly but how it's almost like he pre-focus groups it like Jake Gyllenhaal notices that the kids are calling him Mysterio and adopts that as his character name. Yeah. Right. Like he doesn't come up with it. He recognizes that people are calling him that. And he's like, oh, well, if that's the name that we have, if that's going viral. We're going to run with it. Right. That's pretty good. Uh, that's and that that is just such a 
you got to be up with it. You got to you got to like messaging is kind of a leave living, breathing thing that, uh, no, not really living, but this sort of mutable, constantly changing. I mean, we have a this is a movie that directly quotes George Orwell about the death of, of uh, objective truth. Right. Um, I mean, what did you what did you guys feel about that? that moment in the movie when where M, where MJ quotes George Orwell it felt um, a little out of, out of left field i mean completely uh, in on point in theme with everything else going on but right. um, was anything was there something that set that up that i missed i don't believe there was uh, oh you mean like was there a pig that was trying to stop another pig from taking over the farm i don't think there was a specific george orwell uh, reference and i they mean they they, they, they were they were they were in europe you know napoleon had conquered most of that continent so okay fine i get it sure let's go with that well george orwell spent a lot of time in europe because uh, he's from there, but but uh, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I don't think George Orwell was a major topic in the movie. I think that was just a statement about uh, kind of uh, the realities of media culture, right? Yeah, but that's that it is it. It's good in that that is who MJ would be into, right? This kind of like mm-hmm. Daria esque incarnation of MJ. Like it is, it is spot on that she would have read. Uh, 1984 in school and would have like gone on to like politics in the English language or down and out in Paris and London or something something like that would would have like um, her own intellectual curiosity would have would have taken her that far and she would identify with it as a you know as a, a teenager who kind of sees the BS um, sees the BS behind it everything i mean that's that's an interesting you know that's an interesting point of view on the movie like who are who are we supposed to be at the end like if none of it is real down to nick fury is a scroll though admittedly like a scroll it's kind of like a santa's santa's helpers kind of uh yeah. you know kind of cosmology where there actually is a nick fury up in space somewhere but yeah. uh he can't be bothered he can't ask all the children what they want for christmas um <laughs> you know he or he can't uh mentor all of the superheroes through uh uh combination of of uh uh you know warm warm derision and and light scorn you know, he can't be there for <laughs> yeah. everybody so he sends his helpers down yeah. and when you meet nick fury at the mall i know you're not the real nick fury but i do know that you work for him yeah i mean tom clancy can't write all of the books that say his name on them Right, like so, he's like Phidias, well, especially he after he's he dead. Can't write any right. of them anymore? Can he? Right? Like, but <laughs> he still I comes mean, up with new books all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> if you want a, a living author as an example, James Patterson certainly mm-hmm. can't write all the books that James Patterson writes. You know, um, but that I mean that was the case a long time ago as well. Like uh, I think I think Carolyn Keene was a person, the Nancy Drew writer, but Franklin W. Dixon, the writer of the Hardy Boys, was not a person. Was a you know it was a bunch of uh, bunch of night monkeys. Uh, at a bunch of typewriters and eventually they came up with the secret of the old mill. So, yeah. so your question is who are you supposed to identify with at the end of the movie? What is that? I mean, uh, what I is mean, the kind of stable perspective that you can have on, you know, the living of life or the living of, of anything uh, by the time this film has has done its derity and deconstruction of, of all reality and media representation and all sorts? But the only stable perspective is that the perspective is constantly unstable, right? I, that's why I'm saying that you are meant to identify with Peter at the end because you're left questioning reality at every end. You're being gaslit constantly and you're being scapegoated by the end. I mean, it's funny. I would I would almost want to go back to something that that Matt, you've said in past uh, podcast, which is like, you know, the that this is a, this is a movie in which 
you know, it's not agnostic. You can do a sort of problematized pro Mysterio reading of Spider-Man Far From Home, but it's a Spider-Man movie and you're supposed to identify with Spider-Man. And that's not necessarily true of all Spider-Man movies, as is evidenced by uh, Into the Spider-Verse, where identifying with Spider-Man is is a deeply problematized prospect. But I think in this one, you're supposed to I I wonder because I think there's such an assumption nowadays in the way that people discuss these kinds of phenomena, there's this assumption that the way that we relate to it is that if we, in scare quotes, all talk about it, we can all choose, in scare quotes, right, what we are going to do about it. And whereas the reality is more that, like, we are friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. We have our own immediate relationships, and we don't really necessarily, even if we have superpowers, have the ability to change the fundamental rules of discourse and how they exist, right? Like, we can try to enlarge them, but ultimately, you know, Peter is with MJ and and there's a, the friends of Spider-Man crew and he's Spider-Man is always going to be beset from the outside by a broader world that doesn't understand him. I mean, I think who we're supposed to be on the side of ultimately is Flash. I think we're supposed to empathize with Flash uh, and 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 uh, which is weird because Flash is such a jerk, not a Mysterio level jerk, a much more venal sort and harmless sort of jerk. But this idea that this whole in every Spider-Man movie, Flash is a huge jerk who gets punched in the face by a, a kid with superpowers, and we're we're all supposed to cheer and feel great about it because uh, he's a he's a jock and a bully and a nasty person. Right? Uh, remind and, me, which which character is, is Flash? Is he the one who also has a crush on MJ? No, no. This this is the social media guy. Flash is usually in Spider-Man conceived of as a tall, handsome jock who is the sort of guy kicking sand on Peter Parker's face in the beach kind of setup, although in a high school. Right. Like he's the cool guy and and he and he bullies Peter. But in this series of movies, Flash is a rich. I think he's subcontinental, either Indian or Pakistani. Uh, I, I don't know exactly whether he's like ang- Anglo Indian or something, but he's the kid with the hair parted down the middle and the mustache who is always a big social media guy and loves Spider-Man, but hates Peter Parker and calls him a jerk all the time. And the movies kind of like one of the, the arc that he has in the movie is that, um, you know, that he is an Instagram or a Snapchat guy, right? He's constantly on Snapchat. And be, and it turns out that the way to figure out Mysterio's plot is to look at Flash's Snapchat, which everybody has dismissed up until this time as being stupid and pointless, right? And you look at Flash's Snapchat, you can find out where Flash is. And if you know where Flash is, then you know where your friends are and you can go there. And at the end, what's revealed is that Flash has been abandoned effectively by his parents, right? And, and that all of his hostility towards Peter is an artifice to cover up the fact that he's feels neglected and lonely right and he's looking and he has a bad attachment he has a maladaptive attachment and he doesn't know how to make relationships happen which is why he's constantly on social media and why he's constantly making fun of peter parker and so because he when they show up at the airport right the butler comes to get him uh and uh i mean we talk about kind of batman versus spider-man right like flash lives a batman existence but without the superpowers in this in these movies and it's and when you look at when peter has edith and he's looking around his classmates he sees that flash is like i haven't heard from my mom or dad in you know in in, is it days or weeks right like what's going on they won't respond to me uh and and i think that we're supposed to empathize somewhat with flash who is trying to deal with the fact that the world around him doesn't make sense it isn't taking care of him and uh, and is acting out in ways that are kind of crazy uh, and aren't defensible. And the stories that he's coming up with are total ar- artifice and garbage. But the need is real. 
and and the way in which he he knows that he want that he wants to be friends with Spider-Man, but he doesn't know how is maybe something that. That is, is something that, that you can sort of dwell in a little bit. Like, how do you make friends with Spider-Man? How does Peter Parker make friends with Spider-Man? Um, you know, when, when the thing that is in front of you never looks like the thing that you really want to make friends with. Um, I don't know. That's my that is, I mean, that it. is, it's an interesting thing. Like, in the introduction of Edith, one of the first things he does is look around and see everybody's text messages, right? Yeah. And there yeah. is the, the, there is the sense in which, like, this is how you, this is how you pierce the, the veil, right? The veil of artifice is like you, you, with surveillance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, to a certain extent, like, if only, like, Edith is the big machine learning algorithm, you know? Edith is, uh, is ALEXA, you know? Uh, with, with first strike capability, I guess. But, uh, the, you know, e- Edith is the, the sort of sum total of, of the machine learning algorithm that has uh, encompassed and, and, you know, sort of comprehended, um, all of these, all of these little things. I mean, even to the point of like th- this is also. I mean, I think this is a film. Spe- speaking of like the kind of the the perennial Spider-Man problem of like the the problem feels too big for him. He feels unequal to the task of like you know I'm I'm just a kid and like he's you know unequal to the task of dealing with. Uh, uh, whatever you know, wealthy industrialist or whatever uh, global. Um, it- it's usually like crazy New Yorker person who's hacked into the power grid, right? Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> or whatever, like, you know, uh, Doc Ock or whatever. Like sludge monster, yeah. you know, cra- what, what academic who is jeopardizing his tenure for no reason, right? Like, is, is Spider-Man dealing with today? Uh, and sorry, go ahead. Go well, ahead. that's, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. And that's like, so what's the, you know, what's the story there? Um, well, you know, he's... Uh, the the problems are sort of get too big right and the idea the idea in sort of contemporary the contemporary world of whether it's like look the pro- the problems are too big to be solved by enlightenment means right like you look you 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 brought an enlightenment democracy knife you know to a post capitalist gunfight you know and that's that's the the idea that like you need you need recourse to Edith or you need recourse to uh the scrolls and and Samuel L. Jackson living on a uh living on a spaceship uh but like fronting like he's in like he's hanging out on a beach somewhere or so, something like that like and and by the way what was he doing on that spaceship right like it was like <laughs> hang, just hanging out like why do you get a 15 minute break to like go into the holodeck and sit on a sit on a beach and why is Samuel L. Jackson in charge of all the scrolls in the uh, uh, in the and tell them all to get back to work in the spaceship. Like I, I am, uh, I am so confused. And I don't know if this isn't a uh, new Spider-Man thing or if this is an MCU kind of thing that's that's going to happen. It's, uh, uh, but it definitely makes me want to buy more tickets. It makes me want to consume. <laughs> it's like they, it's well, like they got into my put phone. Put the glasses on. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like they got into my phone and realized what I, what exactly what I wanted and what's going to make me. Uh, algorithmically come back to the to the Cineplex. So let me ask you this then. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly if I can formulate this directly as a question, but I'll pose it to you as a contrast. Mysterio 
is a high production value fiction <laughs> that is made for a deliberate manipulative purpose. The intro video on the school news that relays the events of Infinity War, Infinity <laughs> War and Avengers Endgame is a low production value spectacle uh-huh. that, that tells true things from a sincere place, right? Like in the world, yeah. in, the, in the world oh, of the good. movie. Yeah. So so what is what's up with that? Right. Like the fact that the that we all are that that, that initial segment, I just want to hear what you have to say about that initial segment and how it relates to all the stuff that we're talking about. And also, I suppose, to like the state of the franchise, so to speak, which I kind of have to sneer as I say it, because I feel like Mysterio. I, when I'm well, about I, I have thoughts. But Mark, what do you think? I mean, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Is that uh, these movies can work and operate in so many different levels, right? It can just like ruthlessly undermine itself and its seriousness um, in, in, in the same breath um, uh, convey sincerity of emotion and of loss. Um, it, it's really remarkable that they can do this. I, I am struggling to come up with any similar achievement or precedent in modern multimedia storytelling. They're just freaking killing it. Marvel is <laughs> that, that sounds a little bit fanboyish, but um, I, I am left like, you know, what 10 plus years and 20 plus movies later, just shaking my head at how wildly entertaining they've made all this while making fun of themselves at the same time. And also telling like really pat, uh, stories full of pathos and feeling, making us feel lost and truly making us feel uh, emotions for these characters. It is like, yeah, it is like when you, when you look at the, the, management book that's going to be written right about by kevin feige about undertaking large projects the like the the one that ed catmill uh uh wrote about pixar called creativity inc before we realized that the the secret to pixar's success is you ignore the sexual harassment um that like uh whatever kevin feige does uh writes writes that book like it will be uh an instant bestseller I think about how you like undertake a large project like this with nothing but the potential for failure everywhere. And you bat what? 666 higher. Like that's, he's, he's got a pretty good, uh, pretty good batting average. Anyway, I think, I think like, um, I, I think the, the beginning of the movie was a little bit of the, you know, special effects wizards of Disney or Sony or whoever, you know, Marvel Studios, whoever was involved, doing a little bit of adolescent face, you know, because um, the films that kids make on iPhones and stuff like this today are great. Like, they have better tools uh, you know, we, we were involved in, in making some like, uh, humorous short films or, uh, you know, sketch comedy type of stuff and stringing them together into, uh, into a movie like, uh, when we were in college and we did, we did this with, with great glee and, and I flatter myself to say a little bit of a plum, but like the, the skills in a, you know, the, the, Technology in whatever the latest iPhone is, is more than James Cameron had to make Terminator 2. You know, (laughs) it's like it's it's astonishing. And, you know, in the kind of the the like the auto filter, you know, your your average Snapchat filter your Instagram filter, whichever you use, has higher production value than the um, 
than the uh, than the the student movie that opened yeah. the beginning of well, the thing, well, and like so, it was this burlesque of like the yeah. the movies that the, these kids make, but that's not what these kids today and their uh, do with their rainbow filters. Yeah, let me just punch in here real quickly on a comment on that. One is that the iPhone, like, no iPhone app will allow you to type in Comic Sans, basically, right? It just, like, prevents you from yep. making that amateurish mistake. And the other thing is, like, that type of video, to your to your point, Matt, was absolutely popular and a real thing. You could see literally all over YouTube 10 years ago. Well, maybe not 10 years ago, but, like, uh, actually probably is about right. You know, like, it's seven years ago or so. Um, you know, imagine, like, an amateurish, like, slideshow of angst, like, um, uh, um, uh, um, criticizing your favorite, I don't know, uh, MMA uh, fighter who had betrayed you to the tune of, like, an Evanescent song, right? That was a real thing, um, but it kind of isn't anymore, and or at least to suggest that, like, um, kids at the New York City's elite, most elite high school are only capable of that, feels in retrospect is disingenuous but again like within the context of the film absolutely worked and 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 made a point and made it really well and what was that point mark oh was that um uh, that these these feelings are um earnest and come from an honest place of like youthful youthful naivete and um and, and 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 that grounds all of like the baroque and postmodern undercutting that happens later on. I mean, the one, the it, it is interesting the way it takes seriously the reality of the the blip and kind of plays out the consequences of just like coming back, uh, coming back to life. Like, who's who's to say they haven't built a building on the the place where you disappeared and like you come back to life, you know, encased in concrete or something like that? Who's to say that there isn't some like horrific consequence? Like the idea that the the marching band and the basketball team are going to collide because one or the other of them like appears uh in the middle of of you know the others doing its thing like that that is an interesting uh you know specific that that's an interesting kind of neat specific detail that takes seriously the the uh the idea of it like the weird um you know and some of the weird stuff with with ant-man and his daughter being older like this is um the the just the weirdness of that of that relationship is is uh an interesting thing like um and and the idea that like oh he blipped out but he's still you know he's only 13 or something like that i, I don't know uh, the, the, don't forget the teacher's uh story of what his wife left him yeah like pretend to be blipped out <laughs> like that's played for last but that's messed up and like you can imagine variations of that have played out like many many times over, right? well yeah i mean there's a there's actually a neil labute play which is you know particularly cruel in the 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 pantheon of cruel neil labute plays where i think it's called the view from here might be called something else. It doesn't matter what it's called. Uh, it's about uh, two people cheating on their spouses uh, on um, September 11th, 2001, who realized that they could uh, they could run away, be presumed dead, and leave the, that this would be a way to leave their spouses and, and have a relationship together. Um, that like uh, yeah, that, that was that, again and like delivered great, delivered very well by by Martin Starr, who's like who I I can't get his character in Freaks and Geeks out of my head. Like he's always going to be that guy for me, but as he becomes a you know very good uh, capable adult comedian, like I'm always amazed by uh, by how great he is and and how he just I don't know how he just. 
really delivers solid performances time and time and time again um, that are in their in their way like very truthful and uh, very truthful and honest. I don't know, Pete. Did you have a, a, a thought that you want to share about the uh, the opening montage versus Mysterio's high production value uh, uh, extravaganza of destruction? Well, just that everybody laughed at the things that the kids were saying. Yeah, and and it it had this relationship with the uh, franchise, as it were, of deflating everything and kind of. Starting one of the things that the movie is trying to do is start a new macro cycle of stories, which will have little epicycles in it, right? It'll have tiny little cycles within it that will build up to bigger cycles. And in order to start over, it had to figure out a way of, of really kind of picking a new vector, right? And then driving along that vector. And I think that the lightheartedness of the uh, and critique in that movie was what uh, people were laughing at it and how poorly it was done. But then ultimately at the end of it, that movie was more true in the context of the world than anything that Mysterio did or said was. And just that that is interesting and speaks to the confoundment that we face with the power of image and the power of, of, val- of production value of art, right? The power of art, which is a, a power to be taken seriously um, because it can influence people in ways that they don't expect, and uh, although I, I would also say that uh, if Mysterio were to try to enact a particularly specific sort of uh, policy uh, agenda, I suspect he would find his art sorely wanting. But it certainly it certainly can uh, can galvanize moments, uh, as it were. Um, but just that that, you know, the lie can run around the block before the truth has its pants on. Right. I mean, I guess another another thing is, uh, as Dark Hillman said, you know, evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. Right. Is, is that, uh, that's not necessarily this, the, the lesson of this movie, but the idea that, like, we're all laughing at the kids uh, because what they did looks cheap and tawdry and bad uh, or like not bad, but like disposable. Right. Um, and and yet Mysterio is the person who's really BSing us uh, where it just shows a sort of essential gullibility that's built into the whole experience. And uh, that that's a reality that we all have to face in our own lives every day. Uh, that we are that there are always people constantly trying to trick us. And, uh, you know, whether it's you know, I don't necessarily mean our loved ones, but I mean, like, you know, every sort of casual experience we have online. We now have to question whether it's a real person or not. Uh, we used to not have to do that because we used to not have to go online to do things. <laughs> but now we always question whether the person was real or not. Uh, but but now we really have to question it. Right. Because so many important relationships are carried out through these kinds of media relationships, these sort of media vectors on the, on the Internet. Just, on the Internet. No one knows you're a Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> or, or a scroll. The end of this movie opens up a um, doors. I don't know if the MCU is ready to walk through, right? The, the whole shape sitting scrolls, right? Anyone can be anything. And then Mysterio's slash, um, uh, let's call it InfoWars, right? The Daily Bugle's um, uh, the deception, right? That video can be cut manipulative, manipulatively to make you believe anything. Um, that, I mean, we saw it in Captain Marvel, right? Where there's a certain line you have to walk up to. And then, um, you know, because if you keep uh, throwing shapeshifters at everyone, then it just narratively you can't follow it anymore, right? So they, 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 they can't just like completely, totally alienate us um, by have like, you know, an entire movie uh, real uh, an entire feature length thing play through. And then at the very end of it, swap and say, ha ha, actually none of this. You saw all of it, literally all of it was fake. Like they can't quite go all the way there. Can they, will they, I mean, I guess we'll see. Right. 
I mean, there aren't that many scrolls left. Sorry, go ahead. Spider-Man will return in. <laughs> I don't know. There were a lot in that. There were a lot in that spaceship. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I mean, I guess. But but it was foreshadowed throughout the movie that Nick Fury was not real, right? Like you yeah. guys were picking yeah, that yeah, up yeah. too, right? That like when he when he venerates Captain Marvel and is like, you don't don't take her name in vain or whatever it is, right? Like that's a lot of respect for somebody who's responsible for your eye patch, right? Or via you know via cat interaction and whatnot. Um, and also, I think he does at one point refer to Earth as your planet. Um, <laughs> It's a threat to your planet. Uh, but yeah, but but he also was always acting a little bit off and a little bit weird. And I think that was elegant because it seemed like through the movie, I wasn't sure whether Nick Fury was also a trick of Mysterio. Like, that's what I thought. I thought that Mysterio, that Mysterio was both doing Nick Fury and doing himself. And the moment where I knew that that wasn't happening was when they cut to Nick Fury driving in the Audis up to the fight. And I'm like, well, if Mysterio were projecting Nick Fury, we wouldn't see this. So Nick Fury can't be projected by Mysterio, although it turned out that Colby Smothers was being projected by Mysterio at the time, which was, you know, intense or later on. But yeah, Nick Fury would know that where the headquarters of Europol is in Berlin and that it isn't an abandoned parking garage, (laughs) right? Like Nick Fury would know that, but scroll Nick Fury, maybe not. Uh, So, so yeah, I think that can they do a movie where we don't know if anybody is real? Uh, They'll, they'll ground it. Right. Somebody will be real. Something will be real. Something somehow it'll all be managed. It'll all take place in space. Right. Or on some planets. I mean, maybe it'll take place in a city and it, and, a, and some of the people will be civilians and some of the people will be shapeshifters. And it'll be sort of like I mean, that's what they did in Captain Marvel. Right. And she's running through the trains and stuff. But they, they kept it grounded in characters that you trusted. And Captain Marvel never really was like at the end of it being like, are any of my friends real? Right. Like she didn't like there's not a scene where Captain Marvel goes back to her friend's old house after coming back. Uh, to Earth and finds the daughter there and like holds a laser finger to her head and is like, prove to me you're not a scroll. <laughs> like, it, it never quite Wait. goes all the way. <laughs> Pete, I hate to break it to you, but any one of us could be the thing. Call back to last <laughs> oh, week's right. episode. Uh, Thank you guys so much for doing that. Oh, you brought it full circle. You brought it full circle. <laughs> Definitely. All and right. you know that I can't be the thing because I wasn't there. So I was at the Norwegian base. Wait, uh, what? Uh, well, this uh, this brings to to uh, this brings to a close uh, phase three of the overthinking it cinematic universe. <laughs> thank you very much for uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to this podcast about Spider Man Far From Home. Pete, welcome back, and Mark, thank you for uh, podcasting. Uh, both of you, thank you for podcasting with me. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast. Until then, read Jack Derrida's structure, sign, and play in the discourse of the human sciences, and find us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the pop or do we do we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it prob- probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. and cut guys that was terrible come on Mark, I'm getting really tired holding up this Pete Fenzel puppet. When do I get to put it down? Ah, oh, Mark, the Matt Rather puppet is falling apart at the seams. This thing is like 11 years old. I got to call my puppet, my puppet manufacturer. I got to call my mother. I got to call my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs>